Good morning, church. Great to be with you this morning. You know, I, I realize that uh, any time that there is power, any time there's a position of power, any time there's a, a authority where, where someone or some group of people have power, then there is within that the potential for injustice. That any time that there is located power in a person or a group of people, uh, there is the potential uh, for injustice to exist, for inequality to exist. And, and actually, all of us have probably at some point in our lives, if not right now, this very morning, experienced this sort of injustice, where power has existed and it's being exercised in an unjust or unequal way. Maybe it's an official, a government official, a local official of some kind who has a company, and they allow that company to, to get contracts for policy that they are passing. Their company will get large contracts. It's not actually a bribe, but they're making sure that they line their own pockets with their own company in the making of their own policy. Maybe it's your boss. Most of us have bosses. And we know, we recognize that our boss has authority. They have this, this power. I mean, at the end of the day, our boss is the one who can hire us, and that means that they can probably to fire us. And to most of us, it seems like uh, the hiring and the firing means that they're in charge, that they have the power. But what if, what if our boss having the power that they do is unjust or unequal. But what if they begin to lie? What happens when they expect you to, to go along? What about teachers? At some point in our life, we probably sat in a classroom and recognized that the teacher is the one that was in charge. And when you didn't realize that the teacher was the one in charge, you probably either got to the, sent to the principal's office or you got your name written on the board. When I was a kid, having your name written on the board was a big deal. And then if you were extra bad, as maybe I was or wasn't once in a while, you got a check mark next to your name. You recognize very quickly who the person in authority is, but what happens if that person in authority, the teacher in the classroom, is unjust or unfair or unequal? What if because you are who you are and you belong to whom you belong to, the teacher decides uh, that they're going to be tougher on you than anybody else? 
they're not going to call on you. That your grades are going to go down because they have the power. Maybe the first power structure that we ever encountered was our parents, right? I mean, as a child, you probably knew who had the power in your house. I can demonstrate that with just a few words. Because I said so. And we recognize that our parents had the power. But what happens when parents themselves uh, become unjust or unequal? All the teenagers in the room, your ears are perking up, aren't they? What happens when there is a favorite? We all remember the, the story of Cinderella. It is a story of parenthood gone wrong. Where there was power in a parent who was unjust and unequal. And perhaps you have known that sort of power structure. So so what is it that we do? What is it that we do when, when injustice, when unjust things, when inequality comes knocking on our doorstep? What is it that we do? How is it that we should respond when injustice comes knocking? When we have gone into, this is a farming analogy, so bear with me, this is Iowa. When you take your grain cart to the elevator, and they look at your grain and say, well, there is more foreign material in your grain than that guy over there. And that guy over there happens to be related to those people in the grain elevator. And you think, wait a minute. How is it that we should respond? What is it that we should do? Now the great thing is that the Bible is not silent on this. In fact, in this series that we're in right now, life is short. We, we are coming knee deep. We are being thrown into the deep end of the pool with the realities of life. And in fact, there is a part of the reality of life that says we, at some point in our life, are going to face injustice uh, with someone or a group of people who is in power. And so the author of Ecclesiastes walks into our living room, into our bedroom, into our workplace, into our school. And walks us through how is it that we respond well to injustice, to inequality. Join me in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Join me in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you're looking for Ecclesiastes in the Pew Bibles in front of you, it can be found on page 465. 465. 
you're looking for Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and I'm in chapter 8. The teacher, the preacher in Ecclesiastes is going to really give us two action steps. Uh, they kind of come in a progression, uh, but he's going to give us two action steps. Hey, there's some things that you can do when you face injustice, when power has been misplaced, when you recognize it in your boss or your parents or your teachers or your coaches or in a group of people. There's a couple things that, that you might think about. Uh, the first is, is really very simple. It almost seems like common sense. He just simply says, engage those with power wisely. Before you pop off at the mouth, before you yell and scream, before you put something on social media that they're going to see, before you put something in the newspaper, before you go and talk to your friend next door, before you go and talk to other employees, uh, before you go and talk to the union, uh, before you go and talk to anybody else, engage that person of power who's involved in the injustice and engage them Wisely, look at verse 5 with me. Whoever obeys his command. He's talking about the king in his context. He's saying who, whoever obeys his command, talking about the king, the person of power. Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. Be patient. Persevere for a while. Uh, before you go and, and, and do any one of those things, know that the king is always still going to be the king. Uh, why is it that you should wait? Why is it that you should look for the, the most proper time to engage the person or the group of people? Well, look back really quickly in, in verse 3 and 4. Why is it that we act patiently? Why is it that it's wise to, uh, to look for an opportune time? He says, do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. You know what that means? Don't be in a hurry to go get yourself fired. Don't be in a hurry to go get yourself sent down to the principal's office. Don't be in a hurry to make sure that you're the one on the blacklist on the team. Uh, don't be the one that the teacher is telling all the other teachers about. Uh, don't be in a hurry. Don't stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Hey, hey, there's a truth in this life. Those in power... They have it. They have power. And you may not be able to stop it. 
So abide your time well. Uh, Live wisely. Look for the proper opportunity to approach them about it. Uh, Look at verse 4. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? So be patient. So it's with your boss. It's with the elevator operator. Will you be patient? Maybe you wait for that day at the the grain elevator when there's not a lot going on and you happen to run into the person that runs the grain elevator and you, you have a conversation about it rather than simply putting it on social media or talking to other farmers. Uh, maybe it's the teacher that's incredibly unfair with you and, and you happen to catch them in a moment after class and you begin to talk to them about it. Hey, I, I, I have a question. Oftentimes it's questions that are disarming instead of accusations. Maybe it's the coach that that doesn't seem to be giving you an opportunity and you find yourself riding the pine more than you'd like. Bide your time. Be patient. Don't be in a hurry to lose your influence. Because if if you wait patiently, If you persevere for a little while, there might be an opportunity uh, for you to have a conversation that changes toward justice instead of injustice. You might have an opportunity as a Christian to, to stop something that is unequal or unjust. But if you barge out with anger or a flash, you'll never have an opportunity to see what kind of justice may have been done had you only waited a little while. Now, there's a caveat to all of this. Some of you are saying, whoa, If it involves you lying or doing something against God or doing something immoral or illegal, you always go to God first. I'm not saying that if there's something illegal going on, you just simply wait and hang out and and see what's going to happen. You remember the book of Daniel. Daniel is uh, an official, and he's told that he has to go and worship before an idol of the king. And he says, I I won't do it. I'm not going to do it today, and I'm not going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to pray to the only God that I know. That's the one who I will serve. In the book of Acts, at the very beginning of the church, we recognize the same sort of thing happening. Hey, I'm I'm not going to serve men. I'm going to serve God. So you have to decide, is it something immoral, is it something illegal, or is it something that I can live with in the moment? 
Even that causes me some anxiety that I might have an opportunity to correct or be an influence in if I wait and I'm patient. He says in verse 5 very clearly, the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. Though a man's misery weighs heavily upon him, it might, it might take a while. And it might even hurt for a while, but you have an opportunity to do something about it. Now, wouldn't we love for that to be the end of the sermon? Hey, how do I go about in dealing with unjust people? Well, I just act wisely, I'm patient, I'll have a conversation, and then they'll all come around, right? I mean, wisdom is great. All I have to do is be wise, have a conversation, be patient. God will give me the, the wisdom to know what the proper time is and the proper procedure, the proper manner of things. Voila! The only problem is that the preacher, the teacher of Ecclesiastes tells us that even wisdom is not enough. But I can be wise about all kinds of things. I can know when the proper time is. I can look at it. I can, I can organize it. That I can go with patience and I can do all the right things and it still might not be enough. That in fact... I can't even comprehend all the injustice, much less fix it. That wickedness, that evil, that injustice might actually still continue even if I respond well. Look at the end of verse, uh, look at the end of chapter 18. Look with me in verse 17. He says, when I applied my mind to knowing wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. We can't even comprehend all the injustice, much less do anything about it. So wisdom by itself is not the only action step that we can take. There's a lot that we can't know. There's a lot that we can't know. Skip back with me in verse 7. Notice all the things that we cannot control, that we cannot know. He says, we can't know the future. Since no man knows the future, verse 7, who can tell him what is to come? Verse 8, we can't control the weather. No man has power over the wind to contain it. We can't control death. So no one has power over the day of his death. Even with all the wisdom in the world, even if we knew all the proper procedures, even if we knew all the proper patterns, 
there's a whole lot that we cannot control. I mean, it gets worse, actually, before it gets better. He says, in fact, there's some things in this world in regards to injustice that are not going to make sense. Look, look with me at verse 14. He says, there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve. And wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. Time out! You mean I might go about acting wisely? I might go to my teacher. I might talk to him or her. I, I might go at the proper time. I might go with the proper procedure. I might go with the right heart and mind and strength. And God would be with me. And it still turns out badly. I might go to the teacher and it gets worse for me instead of better. I might go to my boss and it gets worse instead of better. And he says, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall into the trap of just going along with wickedness because it seems to be working. And notice what he says in verse 10 and, and verse 11. He says, then too I saw the wicked buried. He's talking about those uh, wicked people. Everybody knew that they were wicked. Everybody knew that they had done things that were unjust. He's talking about their funerals. Then too I saw the wicked buried. Those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. Wait, wait a minute. The whole city that knew that the people were unjust, they're going to their funerals and praising them saying, oh, they were such good people. Wasn't he just so good? And, and he says, when we look at people and we see wickedness that seems to be paying off, what do we want to do? We decide maybe injustice works. Maybe I should be unequal in the power that I possess too. I mean, after all, if, if someone, a student, can go in and cheat on a test time after time and they seem to be getting good grades and I'm working really hard over here by myself and I'm not cheating and I'm only getting average grades and they're going to get into the college that I wanted to get into and I don't get into the college that, that I want to get into but they're cheating Maybe I should cheat. If my boss is lying and it seems to get him some promotion instead of demotion, if he's able to get the kinds of contracts that I really need in order for my career to begin to take off, then, then maybe, maybe what I ought to do is maybe I've got it. Maybe I should begin to take the power that I have and maybe I will lie so that I can get ahead. Because it sure looks like the praise is coming to the guy who, who, is, who is wicked, who is unjust. Maybe as a teacher, I should begin to, I should begin to favor some students over other students because it seems to work and those students have my loyalty and then later on when I really need them, they will be there for me. 
Verse 11, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Wisdom by itself is not enough. Okay, wait wait a minute, preacher. You're telling me on one hand that I need to be patient. I need to engage wisely with those who are in power without falling into wickedness myself. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But wisdom itself is not enough. That's right. That's what I'm telling you. So what's the second action step? Again, this is not earth-shattering. It's not like you're going to go home and go, oh, whoa, whoo, didn't see that one coming. It's almost too simple, actually. The words of the preacher, for those of us who have known any kind of injustice for power that is placed in people who is, have, have, have acted on that power in an unjust or unequal way, He comes out and says, trust the one who has ultimate power. Trust the one who has ultimate power. Because the one who has ultimate power will bring about ultimate justice. You don't like justice as it is right now? Trust the one who has all the power and who will bring about all of the justice. Notice verse 12 and 13, as he lays this out, he says, although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Hey, hey, The really real reality, folks, is that God's in charge. I mean, I know that it looks like your boss is in charge and your teacher is in charge. I know that it looks like uh, there are people who have power. Uh, They don't have real power. The author of Ecclesiastes is saying, hey, hey, focus differently. Change your perspective. The ultimate center of power is not your boss. It's not your teacher. It's not your parent. It is the God who created the universe. Fear and trust Him. And He will bring justice. You remember verse 17? He asks this great question. He implies this rhetoric. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Can they? Except who? God Himself. God's the one who can comprehend everything. God knows everything that's going on all at the same time. So who is it that uh, can bring justice? God can. God brings justice. You're sitting there saying, you're, object, you're, you're objecting, you're holding up your hand, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're saying, Your Honor, I object. Because you want to know where that justice is for you. 
I don't see the justice. I continue to be abused by someone who is in power over me. Where's that justice right now? Oh, where is it when I walk in the front door? It's held in your trust of the one who has all the power. That's where it is. The Bible tells us that when Jesus comes a final time, that when all things come to an end, when the world is no more and God will make it new, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord of all. You see, all those in power, all the kings, all the bosses, all the coaches, all the teachers, all those who have had power, who have misused, who have been unjust, who have been wicked, who have been a part of inequality, all of them will have to bow before the God of the universe. And there will be justice. Now here's the hard part. If we will trust that God has all the power and He will ultimately bring all the justice, then we have to be okay with Him doing it when and how He wants. You remember Jonah in the Bible, anybody? Jonah wanted justice. You see, Jonah is this story not just about a man who was spit up by a whale, it's a story about grace. He was going, he had to go and preach to his enemy, and his enemy repents, and God shows mercy and grace, and, and Jonah doesn't. He is waiting on top of a hill for God to get him. Like, he's waiting on top of the hill for God to throw lightning bolts and bring fire from heaven, and he's like, Where is it? If we're honest with ourselves, would we like for God to bring justice just the way we want to some people that we're thinking of right now? Would we like to stand on top of a hill and say, God, get them? But that would mean we have power and God doesn't, wouldn't it? That would mean that we actually have more power than God because we would be telling God what to do. And so, if we are willing to admit that God has more power than we do, then we will trust that He will bring justice when and how He chooses. There's another little verse in the Bible that goes something like this. God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. I am thankful that God was patient with me and didn't bring justice as fire from heaven on me before I had the opportunity to get to know Him. So church, will we engage with people 
trusting that God himself will bring justice. There's an old hymn. I don't remember all of the words, but it goes something to the effect like this. I don't know about tomorrow, and I don't know many things, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know he holds my hand. If you're experiencing injustice or inequality because someone else in power, then embrace the one who has all the power. Trust that he will, when and how he chooses, bring justice. Pray with me. Lord God, I pray that you are transforming us. Lord, I pray that through your word we're, we're facing reality and asking you to walk with us in it. Lord, help us to be wise. And when wisdom is not enough, help us to trust you. Guide and lead us to who you are all the time. We pray all this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen.